The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number... 219. Oh, it was like a train. It's like we're going up a hill, and then after 220, then we start going back down. It's 221, Holly. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I'm very excited this week because I love, and and we will dive into uh, charity work, ways that we can help out people who are in need. And I think our guest this week, uh, from what I've heard, is a, a part of something incredible and uh, Marla Walters, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? So far, so good. Uh, <laughs> we like to ask this skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Marla, who are you and where did you come from? Awesome. Well, my name is Marla Walters, and I was born and raised in Ontario, Canada. And right now I live in the region of Durham. Now, I actually know you from years ago, many, yeah. many moons ago, <laughs> like over <laughs> 10 years. And so... Yeah. I was, you know, going through different notes and it was really cool just seeing some of those old pictures because a lot has happened in the past 10 years. I mean, the fact that you have two babies who aren't babies anymore. What happened? So let's just talk about the very beginning, growing up in the GTA. What was that like for you? It was really awesome. I had a great um, childhood. My parents were both um, very involved. I grew up in the church and um, along with growing up in the church, there are a lot of experiences that we experience that help to teach us about love and forgiveness and Mm. faith and moving forward and what that means and what that looks like. And along with all of the wonderful things that come with that, there's a lot of, you know, hurt and, um, truth and the ability to really anchor in Jesus for me anyways, and what, what he means and what that, how that informs my life and the decisions that I make. So, um, and then growing up in Durham, I, I lived in the Durham region for the majority of my life. And we were often moving to towns and places that were being developed. So there wasn't a lot of multiculturalism. There wasn't a lot of um, just, you know, resources and support to help um people like me whose parents immigrated to this country and we were born here and understanding what that looked like and how to navigate that so i feel like i have a lot of intersectional experiences (laughs) growing up um, in ontario as a canadian as well as having a very heavy influence or cultural influence from my parents and what that means to be in a church in this environment and um, building community that's safe and respectful. It's been very interesting and wonderful experience. You know, <laughs> your parents moved from where? Jamaica. They immigrated okay. independently. They met here in Canada, so they were both in their early twenties when they moved to immigrated to Canada, and they met here at their church. How important is it for your parents to have that culture then uh, instilled in you growing up? I don't know if I would say that they thought it was important. I think it's just who they, who they are. They just raised us the way that they knew how. And, um, you know, our faith was a big part of that. And so faith always trumped culture. So although there were a lot of cultural things, um, they always, I can honestly say one of the things I was telling my mom the other day is I'm so grateful for their consistency, no matter whether we agree or disagree on things in life, they were consistent and they truly lived their lives um, in the best way that they knew how before God. And so um, that was really central more than culture was faith and being um, grounded. And they, 
obviously were influenced by what they were raised to understand. And as they learned, they changed, which is awesome. And which is, um, I'm really thankful for it. Because often um, your faith can be entwined very you know, tightly with your yeah. culture. And so creating that difference and being able to go off of what the Bible truly said it says isn't always a common story. Yeah. Knowing that faith was such a huge part of your own family, at what point did that become more uh, of your story and you weren't just living out what your parents were teaching you? That has been a question I've asked myself a lot over the years because um, as a young adult, I really did see a lot of the people that I thought believed the same way that I did um, walk away from their faith and, and still do see that. And um, I think honestly, my parents' authenticity before God and seeing them navigate um, church hurt and, you know, situations where oftentimes our bucket is kicked and what's inside of us truly comes out. And um, they were such an example of leaning on Jesus in the hard times and in the awesome times that I developed a relationship with Jesus, not with a religion, not with a mm. community or culture, because those things shifted all throughout my life. Um, you know, I've dealt with abandonment, not from family, but from being a part of churches. And so um, really just understanding that Jesus is who we're anchored to and it's not a denomination or a pastor or your friends that you grew up with. It's Jesus. And he has been real to me. And I wish I could say it was this specific moment, but it's throughout all of the, the amazing times and the difficult times where it's proven to be my anchor. He's proven to be an anchor. You talked about moving uh, a bunch and in places that lacked multiculturalism. Did you feel different in the areas that you moved? I did. And it's funny because a lot of it is uh, I've unpacked as an adult kind of was the norm. You gravitate to the people that look like you or talk like you or have a similar background or people who are Christians, even if they might not look like you. And so you always kind of, I always navigated through finding my little group of people. And I think one of the things that really stuck out to me as an adult, as I was looking back, was not really knowing what my identity was as a Canadian, um, because we always repped, oh, I'm Jamaican, I'm Jamaican. But in Jamaica, you're not a Jamaican, you're a foreigner, you know, mm. <laughs> and it's understandable because we're not like we I don't know. I can't go there and and live life and be sustainable without fully learning and understanding a lot more than I do about the culture and how life is there and so it wasn't until I was an adult that I really reflected on how othered we feel and how we t make that a norm and then navigate our life through that and then have to undo a lot of that as we get older and uh, not hide behind some of that pain and that hurt and actually face it and deal with it and then decide how we want to move forward. You talk about some of your experiences going to church, uh, abandonment issues at church, um, you know, because the church is full of people who are hurt and people yeah. and things yeah. happen. And so throughout your journey, was there a, a key moment where you just kind of the blinders came off? Maybe the church wasn't as safe anymore and you saw it from a different perspective. Yes, absolutely. A couple of times, a couple of different significant moments. And I, I learned um, in my late teens not to idolize people. And that was a really big learning moment and not, mm -hmm. not in a, 
I came out of the idea of looking at people and being like, you can't trust people because of X, Y, and Z, but more of a, we are all walking this out before Jesus and we are all able to fall. And so when you put your trust when the Bible says, don't put your trust in man, it's not that you can't have relationships that mean something and that you hold people to a standard as long as you communicate that, but it's that people, I fail, I've failed throughout my life and people that you look up to as um, mentors, they also have struggles and in areas that they don't necessarily um, hold the bar as you esteem they should. But the important thing is to always remember that our heroes of faith are the perfect examples of people who didn't always hold the bar, but they still finished their race and they still Mm. were seen as people after God's heart in the end. And it, it took several years to see it from that perspective, but I'm grateful that I learned that in my teens, because I think as things happened later on in life and, you know, culture and political and all of the things, um, it didn't deter me from who my faith was in because it wasn't in people. Yeah. And a lot has happened. I mean, we reflect just in the past few years, even Mm -hmm. outside of COVID, the conversations that erupted with what happened with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and just a whole bunch of conversations Mm -hmm. have really started to come to light, which I think is important and healthy. And, you know, we're hearing a lot of people going through that deconstruction of faith kind of experience as well. For you, I I don't know, maybe it was just like being born in the, the late 70s, early 80s. It just kind of seems like we are asking now questions as this generation that maybe our parents never did. For you, was, was there kind of some of those moments and those seasons in your life where it was just all questions, no answers? You just like were wondering, how do I more clearly define my faith? Yeah, um, I believe that deconstruction is an important thing, but I don't think that if you're intending to deconstruct that you should deconstruct without the intention to rebuild something. Um, I truly believe if you leave a void, something is going to fill it up and we should be intentional about what we want to fill that void. Mm-hmm. I do think though, it's important to not be blind in our faith and to go in eyes wide open and to ask the questions when we feel them, not just when other things come and make us ask those questions, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I believe that sometimes we're primed to believe that our faith is one where we are just to be obedient to our own detriment. And I don't believe that that's what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to relationship. And that means being able to be completely honest when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm angry, when I have questions. And I think if we're willing to be vulnerable with that, even when it's really difficult, even in the conversations we need to have, then he meets us there. He's, he's always with us, but he allows, um, he gives us opportunity to really work that out with him. And he'll bring people into our life to bring questions. He does it through his word. He does it through, you know, um, speaking to us directly and through worship songs, through community, that those are how I've been able to process and always come back to who am I in relationship with? Am I in relationship with this denomination or this church group or this idea? Or am I in relationship with Jesus? And what do I feel like he's 
speaking to me in this time. The unfortunate part is sometimes we have to grow up and we got to move out of our parents' house. I, I, I fought it for as long as I possibly could. <laughs> but did, as, as we talk about reflection and that, did you see yourself growing up and moving out, still doing church involvement? Was it marketing? Was it working for not-for-profit? Was it being a doctor? Where did you see yourself? I always saw myself leading worship. Um, I, I love to sing. I went to school um, for singing. I actually met um, Holly's sister-in-law, and that's how I met Holly um, <laughs> through going to Humber College. So I didn't know how it was going to happen, and I still see it. It's just not where I am right now. I kind of often think of it as I've been able to live out two dreams of mine that I've always had. I've always wanted to lead worship, so in some way be involved with church ministry. And I've always wanted to open up a home for single mothers um, to support them as as an option that often isn't available for people who want an option to keep their child, but don't have the support to do that. Um, and so I worked at my church. I started way back as a you know, summer student, and I've done pretty much all of the jobs that you could do from summer camp to I was even on the cleaning ministry. Like I've done all of the things. And it just so happened that after I was on mat leave, I came back at a time where we really wanted to do something in our community and um, the opportunity presented itself and I was able to continue working and now transition into that full time. Yeah, no kidding. Because like you'd said, I met you and you were singing, you were songwriting and uh, kind of going through that process. And now you have been a part, very instrumental part of this new ministry that your church is doing. Like you had said, how was it juggling being a new mom? Because you didn't just have one. (laughs) You had twins. (laughs) (laughs) And now you are spending so much effort in getting something like what you have gotten off the ground. How, how did you juggle that? How did you manage? <laughs> Honestly, um, I would be lying if I said I did it all by myself. It's, it's having amazing people to, to lean on and to build with and to get direction from. Um, pastor, our pastor was given a vision. We moved into, I should say, we moved into our current building. We purchased a building in downtown Ajax and that is one of the highlighted areas in Durham region um, where homelessness is very um, evident. They do a point in time count and that's where they go around and they try and find as many people that are homeless. And so if you know, Durham, Oshawa is a very big uh, homeless population, people who live um, unsheltered. And then Ajax is another um, downtown Ajax is another area. And so we would be helping people, but it was kind of the cyclical thing where there it always, it led to um, some people getting housed, but not everybody. And there are so many intersectional issues um, that people face when they're living unsheltered. And so as a new um, mom, um, you know, it was a transition into really getting an understanding of what our community could do. Um, and then having a team that we could rely on that really built off of each other. And thankfully, my children were a bit older when I started this venture. And it through COVID, um, them being home really helped. I was able to get somebody to come in and help teach them. So I, I could focus on um, building up the shelter and working with the region to make it a, an option for people to be to get into housing through our program. So it's called Doors of Compassion? It is, yep. And so what, what is that? What is the involvement? How does it work? 
We are a low-barrier housing-focused shelter, and we're located in Ajax, and we work with community agencies to try and mitigate a lot of the barriers that people who are living unsheltered face on a day-to-day basis. So we have a central, two central hubs that are operated out of Ajax and Oshawa that will refer people into our program. Um, so first they do a, a lot of the groundwork. Do you, are you in fact um, homeless right now? Do you have other places that you could go to? Can we connect you to resources? Maybe it's rental arrears. Trying to sort that stuff out first. They get referred to our program after being screened. And then we hook them up with a housing retention worker that will help them walk through the process towards getting housing. There's a housing deficit, so it's obviously very challenging. But oftentimes people don't have ID or they don't Mm. have certain medical things in place that can help them be sustainable when they're in housing. So our team comes alongside and helps them uh, walk, walk through that process so that they can be prepared meets with landlords on their behalf, helps once they move into housing, helps support them to be able to stay housed because it is a big deal um, for somebody who's been living um, unsheltered for a long time. It's a big adjustment. Do you work primarily with single single parents? No. So it's interesting. Um, the uh, The dream to do the, the young mother's home is still pending, but opportunities to do that are closer than they ever were before. Mm-hmm. Um, in this um, sector, we see mostly uh, males, middle-aged mm. males, um, and some females. And then we have people who um, are between those two um, spectrums. And then um, we we are low barrier. So we don't require a lot of the things that some of the other shelters require to be in their shelter programs. So we kind of catch we have a wider net and we kind of catch the people who don't quite fit in um, in the other um, standard shelter system in Durham. You might not have the answer to this, but do you know roughly how many people that you've been able to help since you started running this? We have been able to help over 200 people through our warming center and through our shelter. Um, And those are individual. Uh, Oftentimes they're reoccurring. So reoccurring number would be quite higher than that. But um, those are independent people. We've been operating f- since November of 2019, so right before the pandemic. And then we were full-time shelter as of May 2020 and then have continued morphed through different locations and different um, versions of it as we figured out what the best approach was. But um, we've been operating full-fledged um, since May 2020. The one thing that I've found over the years is that we have this idea of those who utilize homeless shelters, those who are homeless are because, you know, reasons X, Y, Z. But in reality, that's not necessarily the case. Have you learned uh, yourself personally uh, from uh, a lot of these individuals that maybe you didn't know before that you're, you know, now have grown because of this? Yeah, 100%. Um, I've had the privilege to be able to take courses, but most importantly, to be able to engage with people who are currently living unsheltered and their stories are astounding. A lot of them, it's uh, family breakdowns, divorce. Um, In some cases, it's, uh, you know, there are so many intersectional issues. So it's trauma from childhood or um, 
There are people who do use substances. And so that has created um, barriers in their lives. There are people who, a lot of people who just family breakdown. It's a divorce. It's uh, somebody getting kicked out of their house. It's uh, just lost their job and fell behind on payments or so many things. And then oftentimes that initial reason builds up and becomes so many other things for some people it's mental health some some people it's physical health it's just there's so many things that can land somebody in the situation they say it takes a village but often that's referred to you know you with kids but uh it takes a village i think for everybody for all of us to come together and support each other because like you said it's the family it's a breakdown somewhere without support it's so easy to get you know, to fall through the cracks. Have you noticed, I mean, starting this literally at the start of a pandemic, um, maybe a shift in attitude towards um, being unsheltered or just people maybe more willing to help? I would hope, but (laughs) have you seen any positive changes? (laughs) Yes, I would be amiss, remiss to say that um, there have not been positive changes. I think there's still a lot of the not in my backyard, um, thought process and a Mm -hmm. lot of um, misunderstanding of who people are and how people end up in, in homeless shelter. And so there's a great opportunity for education and for the region to um, push it to the forefront. Whereas perhaps previously it wasn't as um, funded, you know, the federal government over the pandemic um, really stepped up and, and, provided resources for programs like mine to be able to move forward. Um, There's still a lot of misconception, a lot of wrong ideologies that are tied to how somebody can be homeless. And so there's a lot of opportunity to work in the community and to um, demystify a lot of the misconceptions. What is the uh, biggest need that you guys have? Housing. (laughs) There you go. There you are. <laughs> there are so many empty um, warehouses that are just sitting there zoned for commercial use that are empty, that are for lease, that could be rezoned and used for housing, transitional housing, supported housing. Not everybody can move out and live independently. And we need programs and housing opportunities for those individuals. And then there are a lot of people who with a bit of support can live independently in six or 12 months. And then there are people who are ready to move into housing, but um, $2,000 for a one bedroom is out of my reach. Um, much less somebody who's on Ontario works or on ODSP. Um, it's just very competitive as well. You know, people are bidding on rental apartments Hmm. You would have thought, but yeah. Yeah, been through that. (laughs) It's tough. If we were to ask this question as to where or what would you like to see, if we were to celebrate the anniversary of this moment five years from now, what would you like to see? I would like to see supported housing. I would like to see more zoned housing that is actually affordable, not just based on the affluent neighborhood ajax Mm. is rather affluent but it's so expensive to live there and so affordable housing is two thousand dollars for a space um, or market rent you know we need to have sustainable long-lasting housing and 
um, programs for people who can't live independently, but still need somewhere to live. Mm -hmm. Um, It'd be awesome to be in our own building, have, you know, the three tiers where we have independent living, supported living, and then transitional living. That would be, you know, such a dream and a goal that we're working toward every day. Incredible. I love it. I love how as soon as we ask that, you know exactly what yeah. you, you know, what's on your heart to be able to do for your community. You know how to get there. So we're hoping you get the resources to make that a reality and also that you continue your own journey. I mean, this yeah, is the Why Me Project and speaking of your own journey, yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't ask about you and just reflecting on your life. Did you have or have you had any Why Me moments, whether it was in a valley or a mountaintop? Yeah. Um, I've had both. I've had, you know, definitely times where I thought, well, I've lived a pretty basic Christian life. Like, why does it always seem like doors are closing? Why does it always seem like I'm the one who's left behind? Um, Why does it always seem like I'm looked over? Definitely had those moments and um, have definitely had moments like now where it's like, how did I end up in this position being able to do something that I love doing, being able to be picked for things that other people were looked over for and um, just seeing the goodness of God and the answer to a lot of those why me moments. It's um, I don't have them for all of them, but I do know that it's just when you're available and you're willing to step out and do something that's scary, but you take this, the chance because you know that that's something that you should be doing then God provides. That's been my experience. You can check out uh, Marla Walters on all social cfoc.ca if you want some more information as well. Marla, we appreciate you taking some time and uh, sharing your heart today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to um, Marla yet again for taking some time and, and sharing about something that sometimes I think we just don't realize it underneath our nose that it's going on, but there is a lot of struggle happening. And if we're not aware, it could just you know pass us by. Yeah, it's so credi- or it's so incredible too because you know she had mentioned not my backyard is kind of the mentality, but it's yeah. in everybody's backyard. And sometimes we just have to take off those blinders and just look around us and see what people are dealing with on a day to day basis. Because honestly, you just never know who it could happen to in your own life, your own family, or even to yourself. And I mean, the other thing too, if you look at the housing side of things, especially in places like the GTA and the GVA. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, I live in, you know, so-and-so place, Canada, that doesn't happen here. And then, yeah, rent for $2,000 for a, you know, a one bedroom or if not more, it's yeah. like there, there are people who are doing okay financially, but still can't afford to live. Yeah. It's a very frustrating situation for sure. For those who live in those regions, because you think I should be able to live somewhere. <laughs> I make a good amount, but yet affordable housing, that term is not necessarily actually affordable housing. Hmm. Yeah. So if there's an opportunity for you to do something for someone that you know, or maybe it is a complete stranger, this is kind of, you know, pass that kindness along, if you will, that could be uh, your goal for this week. So uh, we appreciate you uh, listening each and every week for supporting us, downloading on places like Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and reaching out to us on all of our socials, Holly. Yeah, we love hearing from you. We are on uh, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, and of course, <laughs> you can always check us out on faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.